now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift Vieira's Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the show, the best show on the internet. This is the RR Show. Today, we're jumping into some r slash malicious compliance. So grab your tea, grab your popcorn, and come with me as we discover some absolute bangers of some stories, starting right now. And our first story today is from Punky Tyrannosaurus. Fire me because I did my job. Okay, hope you don't need all of these supplies. I love taking photos of people, to the point that I have two resumes for applying for jobs and one of them is specifically for photography work. So I was psyched when I got a job in a photo studio. It was a chain and it wasn't like high quality work, but it was still awesome. I took a lot of photos of very cute babies in particular. Well, the company had a three strike policy. Once there were three issues with you, you were gone. They made you sign off on every single one of the reports. It didn't matter how much later it was that you got your next strike, they never went away. Okay, doesn't seem like a great business model, but okay. And being fair, I did get two strikes, which were very reasonable. One day I missed work because I forgot to set an alarm. It was a super irregular schedule and it wasn't always easy to keep track of. The next strike happened because I scheduled a photo shoot for before the beginning of a shift accidentally. The program was supposed to only show you times that an employee would be available for doing photo shoots, and they changed our hours with very little warning, so the photo shoot that I had scheduled the week before that, that would have been within our hours, was no longer. I felt super bad for the mum and daughter who came in early for their photos and helped them sort everything out with a free photo redemption in apology. I still got my second strike for that. Now the last strike? I actually got two on the same day. Around Christmas, our store goes nuts. We have to have twice as many people working in order to keep everything in order. During that, I was training a new employee and helping with her photo shoots and my own and running cash and taking passport photos and teaching her the rules for them and, and, and. It was a nightmare. What made it worse was that one customer submitted two complaints that day about me. See, this customer felt I was pushing her to buy photos. Literally all this company cares about is pushing the photo packages, and I was instructed relentlessly to do it more and with more energy because I didn't make enough people feel they had to have them. So, great. I convinced a customer to spend money instead of just giving them free things and not getting a dollar from them, like the company has always been yelling at me to do, and I got a complaint for that. Great! And then the other complaint was even more ludicrous. The customer felt I was being too bossy with the other photographer. The one I was training! 
the one that didn't know how to do the job yet, so I had to tell her how to do things. Apparently, I deserved to be fired for telling her how to do things. I was heartbroken. It had been a few years now, so I've gotten over it, but I was so happy working as a photographer. But here's where the malicious compliance finally kicks in. See, by my nature, I end up doing a lot of work that isn't actually my job because I want to help. I enjoy feeling useful. But they're firing me because they don't want me to sell things or train people like they told me to do. So for the last two weeks of my job, I stopped counting all the money for deposits. That was the manager's job, even though she hadn't done it in half a year since making me do it. This meant she had to come in on days that she didn't work just to do the deposit. I stopped actively recruiting customers, which is what you're supposed to do in your downtime. Cold call previous customers and prowl around the attached mall for people you can convince to get photos. The best tactic was always to find people with new young ones, tell them how beautiful their baby is, offer them a free print of one of the photos after a shoot. Almost no one passes that up because then they have a wonderful photo to hold on to. I didn't feel guilty doing it because it genuinely makes people happy. I stopped taking meticulous notes of every interaction that was worth following up on. I used to make a note for the next shift about how ex-customer had seemed interested but was unconvinced, and that a simple reminder of the offer would probably be enough to get them to buy, or I would make a note about someone who forgot their passport photos and whether or not they had paid already. And then, on my last day, the truest malicious compliance happened. They wanted me gone. Okay. I took my name tag and packed it away. I went into the photo studio and grabbed the kids' toys I'd brought in to help get younger ones to cooperate. Babies don't really understand the stranger saying smile for the camera, but if you shake a rattle at them and make silly faces, they're very good at smiling for that. I cleaned up all the things I'd laid out neatly for easy preparation and put them back in storage. I cleaned up all the counters to get rid of all the notes and passport photos that weren't claimed that day because that was what we were technically supposed to do. And then came the real part that this title refers to. Over my nine months working there, a number of issues had come up with the things we worked with. For the passport photos, we needed a paper trimmer to slice off the edges quickly and neatly. We had one when I started, and then it broke. I brought in a replacement. It got broken too. Still, we needed one, so I brought in another replacement. We also had gotten our stapler stolen. No worries, I had one at home we could use. And the keys to the storage, the extra receipt paper, the passport paper, where we keep the deposits, where we keep our paper files, they were tiny. And the color of them was so bland that throughout the course of the day, they would get lost easily 30 times. I had bought a large blue fluffy keychain to attach to it, with permission from the boss. Never lost the keys again. Not one of us. We also had a sign when I started there which we could pop out, which said, I'm in a photo shoot, please be patient, I'll be with you in a moment, or something along those lines. Because there was often only one employee at a time, and they had to do the photo shoots and all of the passport photo drop-ins. Well, my boss accidentally dumped her coffee on that sign after she tripped one day. So I went out of the way to get a new one printed, bought a plastic sleeve for it, and set it up with a cardboard backing so it wouldn't break or get ruined. It was better than the old one. So of course, when I left, 
I took my sign, my keychains, my paper trimmer, my stapler, my toys, and notably my shutter button. See, the camera had a shutter button attached that would allow you to move about while snapping photos. Again, helped with little ones because they don't understand directions, so you have to be able to physically draw their attention somewhere. This cord had gotten frayed and not replaced. It shocked me nasty enough to leave a burn, so I took it off the camera and brought in my own. I got a call the next day asking me how dare I steal company supplies. I calmly replied that I had just taken back the items that belonged to me, and that they could keep the broken paper trimmer that I had brought in. I even left them a pair of scissors I brought for a backup when the paper cutter first broke. I even bought them a box of paper clips for using since they didn't have a stapler anymore. The store closed down two months later. Crazy how when you fire your hardest worker over things you told them to do and one missed shift, other employees are less than infused about the chance of the same thing happening to them. And no one else worked nearly as hard to keep everything in the black as I did. Not to say there's anything wrong with that, I liked everyone except the manager since it was only two other employees and they did their work well and treated me nicely. They just had a better sense of doing what they were paid for and nothing else. And for reference, the employee who the customer felt I was treating badly? Well, they looked at my manager like she was insane and asked when I had done that because she knew for a fact that the one time I raised my voice at either herself or the only other employee was because it was too loud for them to hear me otherwise. She apologized to me, said that she was worried it was her fault because she had been a little nervous that day because she was dealing with other things and was worried that the customer had gotten the wrong impression because of that. Said employee then went on to have her own gallery show, leaving shortly after I was fired. People have raised questions about why I worked two weeks after being fired. Simply enough, there was no one to cover my shifts. One employee was in China celebrating New Year's with her grandparents, one was working on her own photos which became her gallery show, and the manager would be very, very over 40 hours if she worked my shifts too. And I needed the money and wanted to say goodbye to some of the kids and parents who I took photos of every month, which is relatively common as a lot of them wanted photos of their babies as they grew and changed. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. Do you?
enjoy science, spooky stories, and all things paranormal, we do too. While we would love for most paranormal stories to be true, we are here to tell you that they probably aren't. But that doesn't make them any less fun to speculate about. We are the Spooky Science Sisters podcast. In this podcast, we bring you bi-weekly discussions on possible scientific explanations behind the supernatural. Backed up by research articles and other credible sources, we do deep dives into things like archaeology and physics and share in-depth discussions with topic experts. Visit us at SpookySciencesisters.com to listen to a couple of skeptics debunk some of your favorite alien encounters, cryptid sightings, and ghost stories with science, sass, and a significant amount of laughter. Thank you and stay spooky. Our next story is from Anonymous. Sorry, I can't run your errands. I'm grounded. Before you start, know that this is way longer than I expected. I tried to summarize as much as possible, but there are a lot of relevant details. This is my perspective of an instant when I was a teenager where my parents very much regretted grounding me. So this was back in the early 2000s. I was 17 and had very interesting parents. At least my psychologists have said so. I got my license on my 16th birthday and became responsible for many of my parents' house management responsibilities. I dropped off bill payments. This was before online payments were a thing and you had to drive to their offices if you didn't mail the checks in time. Did the grocery shopping and taxied my siblings to school and doctor's appointments and friends' houses. I was completely on board as I loved driving, and I'd always get an extra couple of bucks in gas money. But I also spent the previous year homeschooling so I could commute to my mother's company an hour away and work for 40 hours a week. For free. So any freedom I got was like scraps as a starving dog. At that point, I'm pretty much an adult, but was allowed to go to a public school my senior year and reconnect with my old friends from grade school. It was kind of like being half teen, half adult with the entitlement of a teenager who thinks they're an adult. My family's dynamic was interesting to say the least. I was the oldest, my younger sister was the obvious favorite. Each developmental milestone was met with resistance and as I grew into new interests like makeup, music and social activities, my parents insisted on getting the same things for both of us and giving us the same freedom at the same time. She was three years younger. But the rules were strict for me, but never enforced for her. I wasn't allowed to date till I was 18, she was allowed to date at 14. They also brought her shopping all the time, but I was the responsible one. So they signed me up for free work with their social group to increase their social standing. My sister never had to work, but we're so proud of you, you're the only child we can trust with the credit card. Yeah, because I've been contributing to this household since I was 14. It's called child labor. I counted the days till I'd be free of my family, but while I was stuck, I found ways to have fun and I had a lot of friends. At 17, I was randomly given a curfew. I never actually had a curfew until that month and was used to being out until 2 or 3 a.m. But in their words, you're going to be home by 10 p.m. every night because you keep coming in late and waking us up when you brush your teeth. Yeah, neglect is kind of funny when you look back on it. I especially love that I was a teen who still brushed their teeth every day and it inconvenienced my parents enough to notice me. An additional background tidbit is that my younger sister had been caught with pot in our evangelical Christian family's home. She was in the most trouble she'd ever seen. One month grounded. 
but they let her off the hook after two weeks. This occurred the month before the following story. So within a month of my new curfew, I was five. Yes, five minutes late getting home. I didn't rush home. I figured it wasn't a big deal. After all, I made their house run. And I actually never got in trouble because aside from brushing my teeth too late, I pretty much was an adult with adult responsibilities. I could literally ask my mum to call me in sick for school because I didn't feel like going. And she would. Boy, was I wrong. They went nuclear. I was screamed at for an hour and grounded for two weeks from the car. Well, growing up in that house, it kind of rolled off my back. But I was pretty angry that my punishment for being five minutes late was equal to my sister's punishment for storing and smoking drugs in the house. I also knew that my parents were about to regret this punishment. I have quite the mean streak when I'm pushed, and I'm ashamed to admit I loved torturing them at every opportunity. I know they were expecting me to beg for the car and apologize, but I did not. I knew exactly what was coming and how little they thought this one through. There's a phrase, don't kill the golden goose. Well, when your entire household runs on the shoulders of a 17-year-old, you've made some bad life choices. Especially when that 17-year-old is as smart and reliable as the adults are supposed to be. The next day, yes, the very next day, my mother comes into my room and asks me to drop off a bill she forgot to mail. This isn't word for word, but the gist. I have to meet with a client and don't have time. I need you to run this to the local utility company. Yes, she never asks, she demands. Me, looking up from my book. Oh, sorry, I'm grounded. Well, we'll make an exception. No, because then I'll never learn to not be five minutes late for curfew. Yes, my smart-arseness was the main reason I wasn't the favorite child. As they explained to me many times, I apparently had an attitude problem from the age of four. Well, I really need you to take this to local utility. If you don't, we'll have to pay a late fee. Well, if I'm grounded from the car, I'm grounded from the car. I won't be doing errands until it's over. She huffed off, realizing her mistake. I never followed up with how that one turned out for her. Over the next week, I started acting like a normal teenager. I walked to my friend's house, I was only grounded from the car, and then would call my parents when I needed a ride home. That was my favorite. I can't be late for curfew, and if you don't want me walking home in the dark... I actually walked so much and so far that my thighs were rock hard at the end of that week. During that week, my parents looked a mess. They had to drive my sister everywhere and learned how exhausting it really was. They had to actually plan their errands and watch their own kids. I was on vacation. During that week, the requests went from, we'll make an exception to, we never meant you couldn't run errands, to, these errands are the only reason we let you drive that car, to, please, just this once, we only grounded you because we love you, to, you're so ungrateful, you're supposed to be the responsible one. Basically, the whole gambit of manipulation. At this point, I'm gaslight-proof, and I had actively hated my mum for over three years. I was enjoying myself so much that I sometimes wonder why I enjoyed being a psychopath to her when I was actually not one at all. I have diagnostic proof that I am not a psychopath. By the end of the first week, I was called out to have a talk with them. My mother was the tougher of the two. My dad was pretty cool, but always sided with her. We've decided you've learned your lesson. We're letting you off your punishment earlier, but you have to start running your errands again and driving your siblings. No. I'm good with the current system. 
I insist we don't have time to run errands. Well, maybe you should have thought about that before you took away my car. Well, if you don't run the errands, you can't have the car back. All right, fine. I walked out of the room like a proud peacock. After the two weeks were up, they assumed I'd be back to normal. Nope. I basically told them that I'd rather walk as the number of responsibilities far outweighed the benefits of driving. They were not happy. But what could they really do? They lasted one more week. I went careless for a total of three weeks. Finally, my mum broke down and did the unthinkable. She begged. Well, the words were begging, the tone was sucking up, but I truly enjoyed it. It took all my energy not to beam with self-pride. Now, my mother was a saleswoman. She had been inadvertently training me for years. In that moment, I opened negotiations. In the end, I got an extra 10 bucks a week in gas money on top of the free bucks here and there for unscheduled errands. I still had the curfew, but I got a few minutes grace period from then on. They never even dared to threaten to take my car or license away again. But the cherry on top, my sister's personal taxi service was closed. Apparently, she treated them the same way she treated me during her frequent and unnecessary rides, and from then on, she had to be nice if she wanted a ride. There were a few incidences where she tried to get my parents to force me to take her or tell her where I was going, but they didn't. They knew better than to kill their golden goose of home management, and for the rest of the year, I finally had a great childhood because I was left alone on my own terms. Well, guys, thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you enjoyed all our episodes, to be honest, but I hope you enjoyed this one too. That's all we've got for you today. Thank you very much for being here. I will see you in the next one. <laughs>